by means of a confessional reference, I want to read with you from the Belgic Confession, not 27, but 37, Article 37 of the Belgic Confession in the Forms and Prayers booklets, it's 198. Article 37, under the theme of the Last Judgment, many of the articles begin with uh, the words, we believe. And those are very precious words to know that by grace we, we believe, we, we hold to a conviction. And we think of our forefathers in the faith and the struggles that they experienced to stand for the truth speaking of what it is that they believed in heart and soul. And this is the last article in the Belgic, and thus the first word, finally. Finally, we believe, according to God's word, that when the time appointed by the Lord is come, which is unknown to all creatures... And the number of the elect is complete. Our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly as he ascended with great glory and majesty to declare himself the judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. Then all human creatures will appear in person before that great judge. Men, women, and children who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world. They will be summoned there by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the divine trumpet. For all those who died before that time will be raised from the earth, their spirits being joined and united with their own bodies in which they lived. And as for those who are still alive, they will not die like the others, but will be changed in a twinkling of an eye, from corruptible to incorruptible. Then the books, that is the consciences, will be opened and the dead will be judged according to the things they did in this world, whether good or evil. Indeed, all people will give an account of all the idle words they have spoken, which the world regards as only playing games. And then the secrets and hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. Therefore, with good reason, The thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful to wicked and evil people, but it is very pleasant and a great comfort to the righteous and elect, since their total redemption will then be accomplished. They will then receive the fruits of their labor and of the trouble they have suffered. Their innocence will be openly recognized by all, and they will see the terrible vengeance that God will bring on the evil ones who tyrannized, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. The evil ones will be convicted by the witness of their own consciences and shall be made immortal, but only to be tormented by the, in the everlasting fire 
prepared for the devil and his angels. In contrast, the faithful and elect will be crowned with glory and honor. The Son of God will confess their names before God, his Father, and the holy and elect angels. All tears will be wiped from their eyes, and their cause at present condemned as heretical and evil by many judges and civil officers will be acknowledged as the cause of the Son of God. And as a gracious reward, the Lord will make them possess a glory such as the heart of man could never imagine. So we look forward to that great day with longing in order to enjoy fully the promises of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Article 37 of the Belgic Confession. Indeed, the echo of the prayer Maranatha lives in our hearts. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Then we continue in Scripture. And at this point, we turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke 17. And uh, we begin reading at verse 20 and continue the reading to the end of the chapter at verse 37. Luke 17, beginning at verse 20. Where God's word speaks to us thus, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he, he, the Lord Jesus, uh, answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to another, so will the Son of Man be in his day. First, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and be given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. 
Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This afternoon we want to consider but briefly uh, the words of verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. May the Lord so add his blessing to the public reading of his word, uh, the proclamation thereof, remembering that as flowers fade and grass withers, the, the word of our Lord endures forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, during our Savior's public ministry, he was often asked about the coming of the kingdom of God. And those of the Jewish faith eagerly anticipated the arrival of this kingdom, and the Pharisees were no different. They and their many followers were like many other citizens of Palestine who were looking forward to the arrival of an outward, earthly, visible political kingdom, one in which the Jews would occupy a very prominent place. They could hardly wait for its arrival. They were so anxious to know when this moment would come, when it would be established, that these Pharisees were even willing to ask the one that they despised, the Lord Jesus. And to their question, Jesus, as he had done before, taught them that the kingdom of God was so much different than what they had imagined it to be. And with his own disciples, he went further to, to speak of this kingdom. The kingdom that will finally be ushered in does not come with outward observation. That is to say, one cannot, like a, a weather forecaster, predict its arrival. We do speak of signs of the times. We do notice uh, the movement of history. But nonetheless, that arrival remains a secret to us. It will come but not by conquering armies with the multitude of soldiers and horsemen. Rather, it will come when the vast majority of people least think of the coming of the king and his kingdom. And while they are so busy with ordinary pursuits, the ordinary pursuits of life, that it catches them completely off guard. The king will come. Perhaps in our lifetime. It will be as in the days of Noah, when the flood came unexpectedly upon the earth with its devastating destruction. We remember that Noah, all along, had been preaching with his hammer for some 120 years. 
It will be as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah when brimstone without any warning suddenly rained down and devastated the inhabitants of the valley. And our Savior often included warning in his teaching concerning the gospel of salvation. And no less today, uh, the pulpit and God's preachers, the preachers must include warning for those who have ears to hear. In the midst of his sermon about the coming of the Son of Man and his kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ inserts a very brief sentence of, in the English language of three words. But it is a sentence full of meaning and admonition. Remember Lot's wife. We do well to ask ourselves, how are we to understand this word for our own pilgrim journey? Now, by using this example, an account that is familiar to many, if not all of us, the Lord Jesus holds before his followers, before his disciples, as we are called to be, the fact that they, we should be so prepared for his return that in our thinking, in our doing, in our speaking, that the Lord Jesus would be very close to mind and heart. That our ordinary daily activities be conducted in obedience to the Lord, also in obedience to his call to be watchful, to be ready. And so may our great God once again use his holy word this afternoon to impress the warning of Jesus into our hearts. And as we consider this warning, as we consider the Lord's call, we want to remember Lot's wife in the privileges that she experienced. And secondly, soberly, we want to remember her in her destruction. And in the third place, we want to remember her with sadness in our heart, in her unbelief. First of all, we seek to remember Lot's wife in her privileges. And when we do that, it is not out of place to recall that Mrs. Lot was privileged far above most of the women of her day. Her first great privilege was that she was married to Lot, a nephew of Abraham, the friend of God. Lot, too, was one of our Heavenly Father's children, for we read in 2 Peter chapter 2 that God delivered righteous Lot. Lot, despite his many shortcomings and sins, and when we think of him, we think of some of the things that, that he allowed to happen in his life, and we say, Lot, what were you doing? Yet the Bible indicates he was a God-fearing man. The Bible makes it clear that Lot was wrong in pitching his tent toward Sodom and eventually living there. But the fact remains he did go with Abraham to the land of Canaan because he believed the covenant promises which God made to Abraham about the future of the coming Christ and his kingdom. 
Mrs. Lot had a believing husband. She enjoyed the advantage of knowing what he believed and from what principles he lived. She knew his uh, hopes and love. But being married to a Christian does not assure us of being a Christian ourselves. Nor does it guarantee that we will be heaven bound to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Remember Lot's wife. And then we note a, a second great privilege. Mrs. Lot was in the company of two of the heroes of faith. Both Abraham and Sarah are mentioned in the book of Hebrews as outstanding God-fearing people who, who walk by faith. Abraham is called the father of all believers. Again, Abraham the friend of God. And Abraham heard and obeyed the call of God to leave all and to go to the land that God would show him. Mrs. Lot, together with her husband, journeyed with Abraham and Sarah. Together they went up and down through Canaan. Together they must have spoken to some degree of God's commands and his covenant promises. Mrs. Lot saw Abraham in his unwavering faith throughout the years. And this was a rare privilege shared only by those close to Abraham and Sarah. Indeed, to have the fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters in the faith, to hear the gospel faithfully proclaimed, the sacraments administered, to enjoy the communion of the saints, even as we exercise hospitality to one another, to go to a Christian school, to attend Sunday school, to go to the catechism classes, to take part of church societies. Why, they're all great privileges. But it is no guarantee that we ourselves are Christians. Mrs. Lott enjoyed these benefits. According to the standards of her time, she was not a Christian. Remember Lot's wife. Thirdly, she knew the story of the flood. The story of the flood with its interpretation. She knew that the unbelieving world was punished for their ungodliness, and that Noah with his seven relatives were saved. She knew church history and should have learned from it. And we too must consider the rare privilege of knowing the history of God's people, not only as it comes to us infallibly on the pages of Holy Scripture, but also in the course of time as we find it on the pages of church history since the formation of the New Testament church at Pentecost. We may not be indifferent to our history, but this too is not an assurance that one belongs to the church of the living God. Remember Lot's wife. And then there's more. In the fourth place, we must also notice that she experienced God's marvelous deeds of mercy when she and her husband were rescued by Abraham when taken captive. You can read that story in Genesis chapter 14. And no doubt, as the armies had gathered and taken Lot and those with him captive, there would have been those anxious moments for her 
And perhaps he even prayed for deliverance. But now how many people in a moment of terror will not cry out to God even though they do not live for him day by day? How many soldiers in their foxholes pray with intensity but really do not have faith, saving faith? Foxhole religion and true faith are not the same things. Remember Lot's wife. Then in the fifth place, she had been a hostess to angels. A hostess to angels. On the eve before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, two angels came to lodge in her home. No other person in the entire history of the Bible had had overnight visitors as she did. Abraham entertained angels, but they did not stay for the night. She saw these angels in their work of mercy and also in their work of judgment. She saw the inhabitants struck blind by God's power. She knew that God meant business when she, with Lot, were told to urge the engaged friends of their daughters to come with them and flee from the wrath and the judgment that was to come upon the cities any moment now. She entertained angels. But let us also remember that she was not prepared to meet her God when sudden destruction came upon her world. What privileges she enjoyed. And yet the Lord Jesus uses her as a warning to all who have ears to hear in the context that speaks of the sudden coming of the Son of Man at the end of time. We'll have many people drawing charts and making graphs as to, well, now this is happening and that is happening. But the point the Lord wants to leave with us, with you and me, is that we are to be ready. We may never forget with privilege, and we have many privileges, comes great responsibility If sudden destruction were to come upon us, whether that be in what we call an accident, there are no real accidents, but in our way of speaking, or through heart failure, through sickness, may it be that we shall not open our eyes in the place where Lot's wife is now already suffering the pains of untold agony. Let us not forget Lot's wife in her privileges. And then let us also in the second place remember Lot's wife and her destruction. It was a sudden destruction. Here she was on the way, on the way to escape. Her rescue seemingly had been secured. From all appearances, she was now safe. Yes, it had been hard to depart, but when two angels had convinced Lot Mrs. Lot and their two daughters engaged to be married to flee. They did. The Bible says that, that these angels even took their hands, held them by the hand, pulled them along as it were. Whether it was curiosity, pity, 
or longing for the things that she had left behind, her heart, her heart was still in Sodom, and she could not resist from looking back. Oh, for one last look. And then suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, she was destroyed. And she stood in the presence of her creator where she had to give an account for the things done in the body. An account for all her privileges. Yes, two will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. In this case, Mrs. Lot was taken and Lot was left. And this will be the way it will be when the Lord Jesus returns in the second coming bringing with him the fulfillment of God's kingdom. Not only was her destruction sudden, it was also final. When she suddenly became a pillar of salt, she, she never had another opportunity to make amends. She could never again hear the gospel from the lips and the heart of her husband. She could never again hear Abraham tell about the sweet promises of the faithful covenant God and how precious it was to be a friend of God. Never again would she be permitted to entertain angels. Instead, instead, she would be doomed to the companionship of those in hell where there shall be weeping. And as the Bible describes it, gnashing of teeth. She would be in the presence of demons. The Bible tells us, teaches us, It is appointed for a man to die once, and then the judgment. The Bible says, today, today while you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. For Mrs. Lot, there was a tragic finality of which she had no recourse and of which we may never forget. Jesus made reference to her life For the very purpose that we too would be warned, you and I, so that we too might be prepared and better prepared for the fullness, for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Mrs. Lot may have had a historical faith, but she did not have a saving faith. In fact, it would seem that Mrs. Lot felt right at home in Sodom. She was not preparing for the judgment to come. Jesus, by his word in in Luke 17, reminds us to be ready. She took only but one look. That's all it took. Inwardly, Mrs. Lot yearned for those whom she left behind. And in the end, she got what she wanted. In her moment of death, she joined those of Sodom and Gomorrah whom the Lord destroyed because of their wickedness. Our text is but short. Jesus, describing the coming of the kingdom, gives this warning to all his followers. Words which go back into history, but also serve to push us forward into the time to the day when our Savior will suddenly come upon the clouds and in the twinkling of an eye, those
those who are alive will stand before the judgment seat. Congregation, we need to ask ourselves, I need to ask myself, how is it that I'm preparing? Am I truly ready? In our daily coming and going, do we, do you, and do so in the awareness that our Lord could come back at any time, that we could be called out of time into eternity at any time. Then finally, in the third place, let us remember Lot's wife and her unbelief. The sad thing about Mrs. Lot is not that she, she turned into a pillar of salt, but in her scale of values, she placed earth above heaven and material things above spiritual. Her heart was worldly. It was one with the citizens of Sodom and not one with the heart of her husband. Her treasure was in the world. And Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In unbelief, she lived for this life and she didn't think enough about the life to come. We might say that she was an example of the outwardly moral fine people of the world. Some who might even go to church for the sake of respectability and the enjoyment of this life. The so-called worldly Christian. She was not an unbeliever in the sense that she, she militantly fought against the cause of Christ as we see so many and increasingly so in our society do. But rather in the sense she, she never really enjoyed the singing of the, the songs of Zion. The confession of faith. The study of God's word. The giving of the gifts. Uh, the attentive listening to the preaching of the word of God. The things of God were, were not a positive force in her life. And this unbelief became very evident when, when the angels taking her by the hand and giving her a particular command not to look back, she disobeyed. She rejected the word of the Lord. And so we, we see that she was an unbeliever in the sense that the word of God was not a power in her heart to salvation. She shows, as one pastor once noted, that there is no difference between a believer who believes the Bible historically and a true believer who believes the scriptures unto salvation. There's a big difference there. There's a big difference. The pull of the world was too much for her. No sooner had the angels gone, no sooner had they let go of her hand that she began to wonder about the goods that are being burned or about her friends that were dying. She failed to think about how marvelous God was in sending her and her family the warning to flee from the wrath to come. She had this backward, worldly look instead of that forward, heavenly look that, that looks for what is to come instead of she looked in spite of the warning she looked because in the inward core of her heart she remained unconverted she remained an unbeliever despite her rich heritage and the experience that were hers 
And she died an unbeliever and received an unbeliever's reward. Remember Lot's wife. Because most of us gathered here this afternoon, it's a blessing of the Lord, most of us gathered here in the Lord's house have experienced far, far more privilege than Mrs. Lot. Many of us reared in Christian homes, exposed to biblical reform teaching and preaching for years, possessors of God's covenant promises. We have the record of church history. We have the scriptures in our hands, the scriptures that tell us of those who have gone before us. We have our confessions that help us summarize the faith. We have the very word of God that records for us the work of our Savior. We think of our Savior who, who on the way to Jerusalem set his face like flint. He knew what he's walking toward. He did not look back. He went forward. Reminds us of what we are given in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run, running with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, he who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now suppose Jesus should come tomorrow. And we should know the day before that he's coming. Would we be glad? Will we be glad about his coming or sorry because there's so much we think that we might lose? We have a beautiful home and it would be too bad that it would be destroyed. A prosperous farm that that would no longer be ours. Perhaps you have some friends in the world whose companionship you would miss. What Jesus was holding before his followers and also those gathered here in this little hamlet of St. Anne's is that we should be so prepared for his return. That he is always close to us in our thinking and doing. Could it be possible? Could it be possibly be true that among us there are also those who really don't have too much trouble with those of the world? Does it trouble us? That there are many who desecrate the Lord's Day. We kind of get used to that, don't we? A generation ago, it would have caused horror. Do we still have horror in our hearts that the Lord's Day is desecrated, making it unholy? Does it still live in our hearts that, that abortion is just a terrible horror? Or is it just the way it is? Are we alarmed at the ease at which we might adopt the philosophy of the unbeliever with respect to the kinds of celebrations we participate in? 
And all these temptations remember Lot's wife. But the wife of Lot warned us against half-heartedness. How easy to fall into half-heartedness. Don't be one of those who have too much of the Christian religion to be happy in the world and too little of it to be happy in the church. Such people are still worldly and are like Mrs. Lot in their inmost being. One pastor once said, our Savior spoke these words as a warning in the midst of his sermon of his coming on the clouds to judge the living and the dead. The details were all given in their own way, but in the midst of this sermon. But there's also for us a word of encouragement. For in Upholding the truth, realizing the truth, confessing the truth, we are driven once again to our Savior that we might put our trust and confidence in Him. Jesus is not merely warned, He's also urging us to to trust Him. To trust Him to escape from the wrath to come. He's urging you and I to look forward. Looking forward to that great day of days. Let's do so, beloved, keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is not an attitude of take it or leave it, but a a gracious warning. (coughs) A gracious warning to escape the wrath to come by taking up Christ's yoke, learning of him, So that in him we may find rest for our souls. It's the only place. Jesus. To find rest for our souls. We receive in his warning a gracious invitation. To examine our hearts. Whether we be ready. If he should come upon the clouds. In that unexpected moment. Lot's wife was not ready. She was not prepared for the last judgment. And we need to ask ourselves, are we? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Remember, Lot's wife. Amen. Father in heaven, We thank thee that thou art the God who holds the beginning from the end. And that the timetable of history as we know it will unfold according to thy eternal plan. Lord, we have heard our Savior speak in giving us a a warning, a gracious warning. And we pray, Lord, that we would heed his word. Work in our hearts by thy Holy Spirit so that we would be well directed upon that pilgrim pathway. Lord, thou knowest the distractions in our life, the things that hold us back, the troubles that seem to engulf us. We live in this world that is no friend to grace. The militancy against thy cause continues to rise. O Lord, give us those eyes of faith 
that look forward to the coming of the Savior. Go before us in the week at hand. We pray thy providential blessing in, in the gift of safety. Bless the children in their studies at school, the young people. Uphold us in the work of our hands. Lord, above all, keep us strong in faith for thy glory's sake. So hear us, bless the offering which will be taken in a moment's time, and help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.